as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Dr. Nathaniel Cogley is a political science professor at Tarleton University. So DeSantis out and Haley is still there, but uh, let's talk about why DeSantis dropped out in the first place. Let's start there. Yeah. Hey, good afternoon, guys. I think it's been three years since I've been on the show, so thanks for having me back. Hey, welcome and, uh, back. It's pretty, pretty good week for Trump. This has played out about as well as it could for him. Uh, Ramaswamy dropped out and endorsed him, and now DeSantis dropped out and endorsed him. I'd have to say DeSantis was probably the most credible challenger here. Um, there, there's a moment in time where it looked like he might make a real push, but I think as uh, as the entrenched government in D.C. has has pursued a political persecution of President Trump with 91 indictments and efforts to remove him from the ballot, I think the base is just rallying to his support. And as Governor DeSantis said, there's just really no path to break through. I don't really criticize his campaigning at all. It's just um, the country, a lot of people are enraptured with this great battle Trump against the establishment class in D.C. It's it's the most captivating political story of our lifetime. And the more that they encircle them, the more it becomes a, a dramatic uh, novel that we all want to finish. There's a couple more chapters there. We're not ready for a new novel with a new main character. That's right. They're trying to take no. me out. And by Stop. taking me out, they're trying to take you out bigly. That's for sure. I, we That's won't right. let that happen. Uh, so Nikki Haley's left in the race. Why do you think she's still holding on for, for dear life in this one? How come she hasn't dropped out yet? Well, everything's unfolding, um, very quick. So they all have this ideal scenario that will play out. Uh, Nikki Haley got third in Iowa. Um, New Hampshire is her best state in terms of polling, but she hasn't led Trump in one poll at all. So the idea that she's going to upset him there, I think, is far-fetched, especially with DeSantis dropping out and endorsing Trump in that process. His voters already two-to-one preferred Trump over Haley, and him endorsing Trump's going to push him that direction even more. Trump's already got a 20-point spread in the polls. And you know what? It's kind of trivial, because even if she gets lucky and wins New Hampshire, uh, Trump has got an even bigger lead in her home state of South Carolina, and she can't survive losing her home state. So uh, I think Trump's going to sweep the map here. Davis Franken, your question for political science professor Dr. Congley. Go ahead. There was a, a, a column ran in a local newspaper that Zach and I were talking about, and the guy who wrote it uh, says uh, he's a never-Trumper, but he's not bitter about it, but he says the Democrats don't understand that they're – he's not asserting a coordinated attack, but all these attacks or um, legal actions against Trump are perceived as attacks by – them and it just makes them uh, support Trump more. That it binds them to that they don't understand that. Do you you have you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the more they come out after him in this unprecedented way, 
uh, the, the more people are uncomfortable with watching this political persecution of President Trump. But the government operates uh, with kind of a groupthink, and they always have a tendency to, um, to escalate and to overreach. So it seems like with Trump, if they had come a little more subtle, um, you know, maybe they, they would have something there. But, you know, they've just been nonstop calling him Hitler, smearing him, double impeachment, 91 <laughs> indictments all over the place. I mean, it's too much. And uh, it's kind of yeah. clear that this is a political persecution. And it makes a lot of people very uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's, it's fascinating that they will come after Trump in that specific way rather than uh, I mean, it's the old V for Vendetta idea. Like, I ideas are bulletproof. You can't kill an idea. So if you if you find some way to disqualify Trump from running, the idea of Trump will still live on and maybe even make the situation worse. Yeah, I think that's one of the big questions. You know, when Trump was new on the scene and he entered his first term, I myself was just wondering, is this a one-off with Trump, this kind of populist movement with this citizen agenda, or is this a larger movement that will outlive Trump? And I just think right now it's pretty clear Trump's the guy right now. He's going to be the nominee for the Republican Party right now. But this movement is a lot bigger. It's got more legs, and it'll, it'll live on after this cycle as well. We're going to do so much winning, folks, so much winning. Davis Rankin, your question for the good professor. Go ahead. Um. <clears throat> Do you think, Trump, well, the polling shows that Trump is going to whomp on uh, uh, Biden. Um, you agree? I mean, do you, uh, Steamville is a pretty conservative part of the world, but uh, is it really kind of. Can I springboard your question, Davey? Can I springboard for a second? <laughs> sure. Yeah, you always see those polls between uh, Trump and Biden and Haley and Biden. If Haley, yeah. like by some magical way, if she were to become the nominee, would she have a chance? A better chance. I don't think she. I don't think she inspires people. I don't think she uh, offers a different governing uh, vision. She's uh, more of a you know a figurehead, and and I and you know the the current numbers with um, Haley versus Biden or Trump versus Biden are just different. You know, this is Trump after four years of propaganda campaign against them. You know, Haley would come under assault if she was the Republican nominee. Uh, we're, we're a long ways out. And it's not just about the swing voters. It's also inspiring your base, you know, and I don't think the, the Republican, you know, America first base is going to be inspired by, by uh, you know, blank check on these foreign wars, Nikki Haley. So, Whoa. We know where your heart is. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, but it's not about it's not about me personally or or Era, wonderful Erath County out here. But you know, it's about these swing states. It's about um, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, and uh, you know that's where these things yeah. are decided these days. But before we take off, Professor, I got to ask you for uh, the case of Nikki Haley. Why do candidates like this hold out, waiting for the perfect scenario, like you had mentioned? What is her perfect scenario, that she wins in New Hampshire and then suddenly every other state in the union says, yes, she's our lady? Yeah, perfect scenario has got to be uh, she wins New Hampshire and then she's able to propel that to a, a victory in her home state of South Carolina and then some uh, Super Tuesday thing. But I just don't. I just think it's so far-fetched. I'm not sure she makes it to South Carolina. There's a month gap between New Hampshire yeah. and South Carolina. And once she sees the polls on the wall, um, you know, they're going to have to go with plan X, Y, Z against President Trump, not plan B, because they're, they're well into all their plans to try to stop him. But this kind of money and energy to try to stop, stop Trump will move on to something else. 
you know, to, to try to stop them. We still are a long ways from the Republican convention. Something could happen there. We have the popular vote in November. Inauguration is not till January. There's a long road, and, and you know, I'm um, worried about President Trump's safety and, uh, you know, something unprecedented that could happen along the way. But in terms of racking up delegates for the convention, you know, he, he's uh, in, in a great position to sweep this map. I don't see how Haley can stop him. Hey, thanks a lot for your time and insight. Appreciate it as usual. Dr. Nathaniel Cogley, political science expert at Tarleton State University, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 Drive Hall. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURV. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Joining us now on News Talk 710 KURV to get us caught up with some of the border stories, things that are happening across the border. It's our friend Idolfonso Poncho Ortiz. From Breitbart, Texas, all the border stories you can find at Breitbart.com slash border. Uh, the one I wanted to ask you about, and this one caught my eye immediately, was the Gulf Cartel gunman uh, dumping in the cemetery. And this whole thing uh, being shushed by the media by threats. I thought this was fascinating. So what happened here? Well, pretty much, you know... Uh in the city of Matamoros, the Gulf Cartel has managed to have enough power. They, you know, they have protection from government officials. They have the, the, the power where they basically told news outlets to not report on any crime attributable to them. No violence, uh, no murders, no kidnappings, nothing of that sort. So journalists in Mexico, they, they have been self-censoring themselves and not reporting on what's been going on. And pretty much what happened was, uh, you know, uh, this past weekend, at, uh, in one of the cemeteries uh, near Matamoros, in the Ejido uh, Las Rusias, which used to be outside of the city, now it's actually in the city, um, The you know, one of the workers was basically digging up some graves, two graves, and goes on his lunch break and then comes back, and lo and behold, there's uh, two... Uh, bags like black uh, trash bags with a uh, human bodies inside so you know he panics call runs runs calls authorities they show up and there were these two individuals uh they have been tortured and you know uh, guys in, in their 30s and uh you know uh pretty much they showed the signs of having been killed by uh organized crime and you know, you would think this would be on the news, on, you know, on the local night news, on the local newspapers over there, but sadly not a single, uh, you know, news outlet covered it. I mean, it, it was kept quiet. And, you know, the scary part is that it just goes to show how much power this criminal organization has in cities like Matamoros, 
you know, it, it in Reynosa, it doesn't have as much power, so that some news do get out. But even then, you know, it's it's a uh, scary. And really, this is why we started this uh, Cartel Chronicles project, so that these type of stories could get out and people could know, you know, break through that silence. Yeah, it's real powerful stuff over there, and uh, it, obviously, it's not for kids, obviously, but. Uh, yeah, it is real powerful stuff. Poncho uh, Ortiz from uh, Breitbart, Texas, joining us on uh, 710KURV as we're catching up on the stories at the border. Was it you that told me? Did I read it at Breitbart, or where did I read it that, um, that I think it was the president? I think it was AMLO asking the cartels if they could like kind of quiet things down for a little bit right before uh, election season for them. Well, uh, it, it was actually it was one of our stories. Uh, it was actually the Tamaulipas uh, state police chief or the public security secretary. Oh. Uh, he was act- he was the one that uh, was actually saying that, uh, asking, um, you know, drug cartels to basically behave prior to the elections. And I don't, I don't imagine know, that it, went it, well. Well, I mean, he, he, <laughs> he got some criticism, uh, but it just goes to show, I mean, since, you know, the current governor in Tamaulipas uh, has been in office. They haven't done anything about the, you know, organized crime. They don't, they don't hunt uh, drug cartels. They don't go after them. They pretty much have let them run wild, similar to what Lopez Obrador has done throughout Mexico with his hugs, not bullets approach, you know, trying to say that the war on drugs was over, that they, sh- they should avoid confrontation and pretty much violence in mostly throughout all of Mexico, has skyrocketed in, in the last five years. And that's what's happening right now in Tamaulipas. David, did you have a question? I heard you make a sound earlier. Uh, I do have a question for Poncho, uh, and it comes from today's uh, today's story. Um, as Breitbart, Texas reported, the violence in Tamaulipas kicked off late last week as rival factions of the Gulf Cartel one from Reynosa, the other from Matamoros, reignited their conflict. My, my question is, um, I, I, we can probably grasp the Gulf cartel being at war with some other cartel, but I don't understand why the cartels themselves splinter like this. And if they splinter into factions who are now killing each other, are they really a cartel? Well, uh, yes, they are, because it's, you know, when you think of uh, the, the Gulf Cartel, everybody thinks of just drugs and, and the smoking migrants, but mainly drugs. But you have to actually look at them for because of uh, everything else that they're involved in. I mean, they control this le- the smuggling of legal goods, you know, to the ports of entry, whether it be poultry, liquor, or cigarettes, you know. Then inside the cities, they have, you know, they extort uh, local businesses, so you know they ha- they 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 pretty much work as an uh, as an alternate government that in places like Matamoros have more power than the actual city. Uh, we've reported in the past that they tax local businessmen, and you know they'll even have city officials go tax them on behalf of the cartel. So it, it, it's so real that when you start really looking into it and see how much power that this criminal organization has. And, you know, this warring within the faction brings us back to, uh, like, uh, the story that we had today where, um, you know, since they've been fighting each other for, you know, basically control of smuggling routes and smuggling territories, you know, uh, it brings us to what happened in Rio Bravo where uh, 
on Sunday, pretty much, they started shooting at innocent bystanders. People, there were two ladies that were waiting for the bus, and one of the factions comes in, starts shooting at, uh, at, at innocent civilians. We don't know which faction was behind it, but I mean, we can assume that it was a rival faction trying to take, uh, you know, trying to draw attention to the, the faction that controls that city. Uh, then about three hours later, they shot another uh, person that was basically a businessman that was driving to a rental house that he was managing. Uh, they they killed him as well. And, you know, uh, we checked with law enforcement and they said these people had no connection to, to anything. I mean, they were just at the wrong place at the wrong time. So this is sort of what they call heating up the plaza. You know, there's this term where if uh, I carry out some high-impact crimes, I'm going to have law enforcement be in that area, not allowing the, the dominant cartel there to operate, so then rivals can, can move around and, and do that kind of stuff. Wow. But at the end of the day, innocent civilians are, are you know getting caught in this and living in a reign of terror. That is incredible. And this goes, this goes back into what we were talking about last week. We were just talking about this of uh hey is is it safe to go into mexico and it's like well i mean if you don't have beef with the cartels i mean there's still the chance that they can pull up on you and then there's a gang fight and uh you have nothing to do with it but you're just caught in the crossfire because they're fighting it's territorial and that's right and, and you know the scary part of this is that it's not just the border cities i mean this type of conflicts now we're starting to see them in other parts of Mexico that were you know we hadn't seen them before, in central Mexico like in places like Guanajuato which is a beautiful colonial area, you know we've reported in the past where government have just stormed bars and started shooting random people because that bar was paying protection to the rival organization. I mean yeah. these are you know it's gotten to the point where drug cartels have crossed the line from you know. Mobsters into full-blown terrorists, but for political reasons, you know, they, 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 Mexico doesn't want to admit to that or you know, uh, you know, go after them. But this is like people are living a, under uh, you know uh, a country controlled by terrorists. One question. Yeah, last question. Last question, Davis, for a bunch of Ortiz of Breitbart. Go ahead. There are many stories about uh, fearsome, fearsome drug cartels in South American countries or Central American countries propelling people to come north. Um, is there any evidence they're coming this way? And if, and if they do, wouldn't that promote, would prompt fights, bad gun fights? Well, no, because the drug cartels in Mexico, I mean, they have all the connections in Central and South America. They, you know, it's a business at the end of the day. So, you know, when you think about, for example, cocaine, they have to have their supply in, in South America. So mm -hmm. these people coming north, I mean, you know, it, it, it's all in business. It, it, and, you know, in in the case of, you know, lower level people, you know, they're having their, their turf force up, uh, you know, in border cities like here or out west. Uh, they need fighters. They need to replace the gunmen that are being killed off. that are not being reported by Mexico's government, but, you know, they're, they're ending up in mass graves and things of that nature. You know, they need to replace them. So, for example, in places like Michoacan, I've been seeing an increase in Colombian fighters, people that were used to be in the Colombian guerrillas, uh, you know, uh, Las Farc and so forth, that are now part of whether it be 
Cartel Jalisco New Generation or the rivals, which would be Carteles Unidos. They're openly recruiting Colombian uh, guerrilla fighters to join them and train them because of the tactics that they know. And this is not just in that area. I mean, it's happening all over Mexico. Pancho, thanks a lot. We appreciate Thank it. You. Stay safe out there. That's Pancho Ortiz from Breitbart, Texas. Check out the stories at Breitbart.com slash border. You're listening to News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 drive home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 drive home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. I love your show. Hello. Hello. Having our voices heard. That's right. Yeah. You live and you learn. Exactly right. This is our country. Use your heads on this stuff. Bingo. Sick of the talking heads. I agree with you. Talk, 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 talk. Hello. Hello. Yes, I'm here. I'm just listening. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Everyone is so smart. They are so dumb. Who is she the judge? To stand up to do something. Thank you. The Valley's only news talk station, News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. I want to say hello and welcome our friend Tim Snyder from Matador Economics. We're talking about the this year's winter storm and how the Texas power grid was put to the test. It was uh, Todd Staples earlier this week from the Texas Oil and Gas Association who says that this is why the nation needs to put a priority on fossil fuels. Uh, Tim, did you stay warm this uh, this this winter storm? How did how did things work out for you? Everything was great. Um, um, you know, I'm getting old till my feet were cold. But aside from that, I had power. And, um, I, you know, I hate to say this, guys, but first first of all, um, I, I really wasn't concerned because we're getting a lot of hype here, and so we're, we're doing an awful lot of, a, uh, you know, playing a negative game. And I'm not talking to you guys. I'm talking about the mainstream press. And, and the fact is is that, that, you know, and Todd's absolutely correct. Todd Staples is a friend and a, and a, and a good man and is a, a tremendous executive director for Texas Oil and Gas Association. And, and, you know, his comments about, you know, Texas needs uh, oil and gas, um, primarily the fossil fuels, as well as the renewables. I mean, this is an all of the above kind of deal. And that's what makes Texas great. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. Now, I, I, I will say that I have thrown some shade towards ERCOT, uh, but everybody <laughs> was throwing shade towards ERCOT when the lights went out. You know, the yeah. they had told the governor everything was going to be fine, and then it, it, it wasn't. But I I have been with the improvements that they have been making, and I have been liking the, the progress that they have been making. And it's, yeah, the, the full weatherization, not winterization, but the weatherization of the power grid has been very successful so far yeah, in light of recent yeah. events. Uh, I agree with yeah, you. Um, so the, excuse me? No, I just said, compl- I was just agreeing. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> the so this uh, this winter, the news was, hey, everything worked the way it was supposed to, huh? So far, absolutely. And one thing I'll tell you is, you know, when you were talking about, you know, what we dealt with in 2021 in uh, on on uh, Valentine's Day um, was a complete failure of the ERCOT board. 
and leadership, and that made people very, very uncomfortable. I will tell you this. I think Pablo, uh, uh, Vegas, Pablo Vegas is, is – yeah, he's a he's a good man, and he's doing his level best to make sure that we anticipate high points of demand, and we have reserves now where we need to have reserves. They increase battery capabilities. They've done a lot of things. Um, I'm I am just still very frustrated at the fact that we are getting these warnings, but you know, for what it's worth, the warnings pretty much helped because it pulled power demand down. We set two records over the last two weeks in power demand just because of this cold snap. And there's there's a story out there that we may have another polar vortex uh, float down our way sometime in February again this year. Where did you hear that? This is Davis Franklin. Where did you hear that? Um, if I may ask. On it was on, I didn't say, I'm going to tell you, I think it's oilprice.com. I'll, I'll see if I can get the story, and I'll send it to you. Ooh, okay. I don't like to hear that. <laughs> I know, I don't. <laughs> I like it really cold, cold enough to kill the cockroaches, but not so cold to kill everything else. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. with, with our luck, the, with our luck, well, it'll probably be 80. <laughs> it'll be 80 degrees <laughs> next time there's a storm that heads our way. Just like, just like last time. I think it was, I think... The I think the panhandle was like frozen already or, or past freezing, and basically the entire state but us was below fifty. We were like in the seventy five eighty range or something like that. It was crazy. Uh, but Tim Snyder from Matador Economics joining us on Newstalk seven ten K URV. We're getting a, a like a, a state of the grid. Davis Franken, your hand is up. Go ahead. Well, it just occurred to me, Tim, when you get a cold snap like you were talking about, if that happens, uh, a blast yes. in the in, in mid-February, do the prices for uh, oil before it's refined, do they go up uh, then? Uh, because they've been people have been warned about it, so wouldn't they David, price that in? You always ask the most pointed questions that are right spot on. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I've been watching. If you guys have watched, and you guys both get my energy brief, look at the price of natural gas since the 1st of January. It's a ridiculous inverted a, a turned over curve. Um, the prices, you know, they started up towards uh, just before the middle of the month, and then they just cratered. When we got this cold front, the price of natural gas went down. Crude oil um, is holding its own. We are playing this game where supply and demand are not as much in control of where our 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 crude oil prices, our natural gas prices, our refined product prices uh, are geopolitics are driving those uh, issues and that's the reason why we didn't see crude oil uh, spike when we should have anticipated a spike in crude oil and natural gas should have spiked it shouldn't have gone down 30 cents a, a, a million cubic feet but it did davis is chewing i apologize no no it's not that um, <laughs> i'm trying to think of a appropriate, appropriate follow-up question but I've always figured that <laughs> markets are rational over time, but day to day, traders got to be, they just seem super emotional. Not just oil and gas, but look at Wall Street. Am I right or wrong? Uh, let me just tell you, I, I, I have this conversation many times when I meet with large groups, and we talk about, you know, how do markets trade? How do markets move? Markets are living, breathing, emoting, um, 
feeling type of entities. Uh, they show emotion. They get angry. They get depressed. Um, they are finicky. They're sometimes like a petulant child. Um, and that's why emotions drive primary markets. That's why you have the old adage, um, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news, that, you know, the primary message is always an emotional message, and we get an emotional response when we trade. Um, when we get away from that a little bit of time, then we actually have reality that sets in and it gives us a better opportunity to see what the prices are going to do. That's the way these markets move. When you have geopolitics, geopolitics, and, and what I'm talking about, as you guys well know, is, is uh, Israel, Hamas, uh, Russia, Ukraine, oh. China, Taiwan, Red Sea attacks on both crude oil and natural gas and product shipping, as well as uh, cargo ships and those kinds of things, they affect everything. And so when we're dealing with geopolitics, the first reaction you get is a harsh uh, in, uh, uh, a reaction that, that uh, may go against the basic trend for supply and demand. Hmm. So did you buy or sell today? Yes. You know, right now, I will tell you, I think in the energy market, if you look at, if I look at the way that there's no leadership in the eastern part of the world, okay, in, in yeah. the Middle East and yeah. Southeast Asia and those kinds of things, the leadership they have is not good leadership. So I don't feel good about where we are there. I'm, I'm, you know, I would not buy in those situations. Right now, I'm expecting pretty much a flat market because we're expecting the Federal Reserve to maybe start pulling back on interest rates, the discount rate. But my concern here is if they slow and don't, for instance, we don't get a decrease in the interest rate, the discount rate in, in March, it'll be May before they have an opportunity to do that. That'll hold prices back down a little bit. Mm. So this is the natural time of year when oil and gas prices should begin to rise. Okay. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, I don't want to bring this up because I know you're going to get heated, but well, don't, uh, bring it up. don't bring it up. <laughs> it's time to go. Five fifty. I was only going to bring up the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Okay, that's no, all I was going to no, do. No, no, no. That's all I was going <laughs> to. That's all He's I was going to do. Doing it like, to bait people, bait you. <laughs> you I know, get them all here's, riled up. I have made a point of this many times, gentlemen, and this is the point. I'm getting real tired of interns doing the job of what a proven professional who understands that when they get a price or when they get a number and the number's not right, you don't print it for the whole world to see. I just looked at the API report and in a report from uh, an individual in oilprice.com, and they, they said that, uh, the price, that the SPR had increased by 900,000 barrels, and which totaled, in their estimate, 665.5. I'm sorry, uh, 365.5 million barrels. The problem is that's 9,900,000 barrels increased. We know, we know that didn't happen. So uh, oh. I'm, I'm getting real tired of hearing about the SPR because we can't even get the interns that know how to add and subtract. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
We'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Thank uh, you, thanks a lot. It's Tim Snyder from uh, Matador Economics. You can get the sign up for the newsletter at uh, matadoreconomics.com. You're listening to News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 drive home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURB and KURV.com. Here's Zach. It's the Border Showdown, and it's not the cartels. Well, technically, it depends who you ask, but uh, to get us up to speed with the uh, fight between the Biden administration and our triumphant governor of the mighty Republic of Texas, Greg Abbott, we welcome back to the show. Uh, Bob Price from Breitbart, our guest on your nine five six drive home. So let's uh, let's start at the beginning and uh, let, let's uh, set the stage for what this fight has been all about. Boy, where is the beginning here? Uh, January twenty first, twenty twenty one. Joe Biden took office and deleted everything that Donald Trump did. Yeah, so, day one. That, now that makes a lot of sense. There. Okay. <laughs> you guys uh, what <laughs> nothing just where's where's um, the lie what though? happened where's no, the lie uh, well there is no lie uh, i don't know what mr price thinks but at first i thought abbott we thought abbott stuff was a, was a wonderful prank uh it turns out it's not just a prank it seems to have moved policy you got democrats now going we got to do something we got to do something uh, it, which means they're getting their butts pinched uh, by the, the electorate back in their home home districts. So let me let me I guess to clarify, there was a lot of back and forth concerning the razor wire. So let's start at the let's start at the yeah. beginning of, of of that um, snafu. I guess. You, are you back to me now? Yes, sir. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, about two years ago, Governor Abbott, uh, seeing that the, the Biden administration was not going to defend the border, the governor began deploying uh, state-built fences and razor wire and, and uh, rail cars along the border in various places uh, to try to make some effort in, in deterring uh, the migrants from crossing as at will across the, the border from, from Mexico into Texas. And so just recently it escalated when, when the Border Patrol began cutting the wire uh, to allow migrants to access, or in some cases, even bringing in heavy equipment to to lift it up, and um, you know, to, to lift it up and and let the migrants cross underneath it. And so, at some point earlier this month, um, President Biden then, uh, or excuse me, Governor Abbott then seized the uh, the park Shelby Park there in Eagle Pass and expelled the Border Patrol from the park and began installing more and more razor wire. The, the federal government has written two nasty letters back to the state telling them to stop. And, um, 
And so now we have this big standoff going on. Joining us on 710KURV from Breitbart.com, part of the, the border stories, and this is one of them over at uh, Eagle Pass. It's uh, Bob Price from Breitbart joining us on 710KURV. And uh, Ken Paxton uh, threw down the gauntlet, basically. We're not, uh, we're not backing down. We're not uh, stopping any of this. So you guys can do whatever you want. We're going to do whatever we want. Yeah, they're they're, they're uh, holding their feet to the fire. As a matter of fact, they're not just not backing down. The state of Texas is is doubling down and installing more wire and more layers of wire and more infrastructure to keep people from getting through the wire. Um, so the state's definitely taking more and more action on it. The governor just issued a statement earlier this afternoon. We just published it on Breitbart as we speak um, that the state is exercising its constitutional right to defend against an invasion and that these constitutional rights supersede any federal laws. Uh, so basically what the, the federal governor, the, what the governor is saying to the federal government is, is, you know, the constitution, the laws are based on the constitution and the constitution says we have the right to do this. And so you can't go making laws that say we don't have the right to do this. Davis Rankin, your question for Breitbart's Bob Price. Do you, do, do you happen to know if there's been any legal opinions uh, about that provision of the Constitution? Whether Because when it was first voiced, people said, nah, it's not what that means. It doesn't mean a bunch of kids coming in from Central America. It means something else. Uh, so it's not been tested as attractive as it might sound to people, right? Well, it, it has not been tested. It, it's one of those sections of the law. You know, usually the federal government yeah. does a pretty good job of protecting the states from invasion. And so the states haven't had to exercise that right. Now, yeah. now we're at a point where uh, Governor Abbott feels like there is an invasion going on and uh, the state is going to exercise the clause. And if the federal government wants to file a lawsuit contesting that, then I guess the Supreme Court will get a chance to weigh in on it. So far, that argument has not been made before the Supreme Court, and uh, we will see what that is. But, you know, invasion, yes, conveys a, a military term, if you will, but it, it, yeah. by definition, invasion is not necessarily just a military action. You can have people invading your country. You can have germs invading your body. Um, you know, it, it's, it's something that a organized group of people entering the United States against the laws of the United States who are creating economic damage to the United States and economic damage to the state of Texas. And as these mayors have seen in, in their sanctuary cities now creating economic damage in their, their sanctuary cities. So it, there is consequence of this illegal behavior. And, and so now we're going to see where we go with this. Yeah. And that's very true about the, about the invasion term. It's, I'll, I'll give you one I don't think anybody's brought up before. The, For example, parks and wildlife organizations and uh, agricultural mm -hmm. organizations that, hey, we have invasive species that are coming in. That's not necessarily oh, an army. That doesn't necessarily mean ill intent. And you don't hear people saying, oh, those poor creatures, they're just looking for a place to stay. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> says that. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, there is economic and, and cultural damage that's going on at this point. Um, and, and it's this utter sense of lawlessness that the governor is trying to protect the state from. 
Uh, and the federal government has done a good job of encouraging lawlessness, not just in the border laws, but in many other laws that the the uh, federal government is supposed to enforce. Am I right, uh, Mr. Price, that all the people who are being allowed into the country or led into the country have all applied for asylum? And since we can't weigh those asylum claims right there at the border, they're given permission to stick around till they have to show up in court. Is that what this is all well, about? Well, we, we could uh, weigh those asylum claims at the border. We did during the Trump administration. The Biden administration is just choosing not to. And so um, they're creating this abuse of, of the asylum system that's keeping people with legitimate asylum claims. These are not mm -hmm. asylum seekers. Let's be real clear about this. These are not asylum seekers. 95% of these people are coming here for economic migration. They want money. They want jobs. They want a better life. That's not what asylum is about. So they're coached on how to say it, and, and when they get to the Border Patrol agents, they make a credible claim, a credible fear claim that they've been coached on what to say. But when we talk to them when they cross the border, they're not afraid of anything. They're not, you know, leaving. Many of these Venezuelan migrants, for instance, are not coming here from Venezuela. They've been living for 10 years in, in Peru and Chile and, and Colombia. There's millions of them living in those three countries, and now they're coming up here to the United States, not because they're in fear of Venezuela and persecution, but because they want a better way of life, because they want jobs. We have an immigration system that allows people to seek that, but this isn't it. And, and to, be clear, to, to be clear, I say this not because I, I feel persnickety, but um, <clears throat> the, the law has to deal with them. Uh, once they touch American soil and and put in a plea, you know, I want amnesty or whatever they say, that unless there's a way to rule it out right there, which there was, and I thought there still was the ability of green uniform Border Patrol guys say, no, you don't get asylum, go back. Uh, they have to be adjudicated. There's been calls to change the asylum law, uh, to I guess, to make it harder to, harder to get in. I don't know, but it's been, of course, resisted by... Um, big groups. Well, you know, there were several policies that were put in place by President Donald Trump, and they were very effective. They reduced illegal border crossings in the month of May of 2020 uh, down to 19,000 for the entire southwest border for the month of May. Um, but President Biden reversed all of those policies, and now you're seeing 19,000 come across in just a matter of a few days. In, in a single border sector, uh, let alone the entire southwest border. So you're, you're seeing five, five to 6,000 migrants per day crossing the border in, in a completely unsustainable, chaotic, inhumane system. And uh, something has to be done to stop it. Now Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, is going to uh, hold the federal government's feet to the fire. And, you know, there you stand with, with your... Uh, laws, if you will, and here we stand with the Constitution and, and the Texas Military Department. Yes, our so far triumphant governor of the mighty Republic of Texas, Greg Abbott. Mr. Price, appreciate your time here as usual. Thank That's you. Bob Price from Breitbart.com slash border, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. 
Hey, as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.